I think we lost Dan again. Got a mic problem. Third Degree the Podcast is brought to you by Soccer90.com. Shop Soccer90.com for all your soccer gear. FC Dallas, North Texas FC, the U.S. Women's National Team, World Cups right on the corner. Everything you can need, jersey scarves, tees. Soccer Night has got it all. Check out the latest arrivals. Soccer90.com. Use code Third Degree at checkout. 20% off. Some exclusions do apply. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to yet another episode. This one, numerically titled 218-218 of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, I'm Peter, and I am hanging out with just one of my friends that I like to talk about the burn with, and that is founder and editor of thirddegree.net, the good Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hello, Peter. Sorry that uh, we've lost Dan. He, his technical problems from last week seem to have accelerated, and uh, <laughs> he's even worse. He's not. It looks like he's not going to be able to join us today. But we'll talk some football and 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 all things FC Dallas. And there's lots to talk about today. So I, I hopefully have enough uh, liquid to keep my throat from going out on me. All right. Well, just to pull the curtain back, we had initially started this episode with Dan. Then there was a loud explosion, and then there was no more Dan. <laughs> and so if for some reason Dan reappears midway through this uh, podcast, we will be for the better for it. But otherwise, uh, hopefully he gets his uh, computer gerbil back up and running here again soon. Yeah, just to be clear, it's a computer thing. It's not like there was an actual explosion oh. at Dan's house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So right off the bat, Buzz, and I know we have a lot to talk about because there were two games since we last talked, and this is a, this is kind of a boo-yay episode because, uh, yay, the team beat somebody over the weekend, and boo, then they lost to somebody just last night, and we'll get into that here in a minute. But I really feel like the number one story we need to talk about is the news revealed last night that uh, Mr. Martinez has an injury and he's on some sort of program where they're kind of like taking the temperature of how bad this is, but it may be season ending? Yeah, we, we knew he was hurt or banged up or whatever because he had missed a game or two. And it turned out that it, it's uh, in the notes that FC Dallas released, it said knee. Um problem and then uh steve davis said on the the pre-game i think it was show or maybe it was the post-game show that they're doing fc dallas is doing an evaluation uh of mr martinez because they're hoping that he can just sort of heal and recover on his own um but if not uh he will have to have season-ending surgery and it's important to discuss that because his contract is up at the end of the season um so it Obviously, when we get to the section at the end of the show, when we talk about the window being open, whether Martinez is going to be having surgery or not, it's going to impact probably what FC Dallas is going to do in this window. So this is big news. I don't know exactly when their evaluation uh, started. I would imagine it was before these two games. So perhaps over the next two days or perhaps early next week, we will learn maybe whether they're going to have him do surgery or not. And and the, probably the way we'll learn that is they'll put out a release that they did it. Did it. So um, there is a press conference tomorrow. And so we'll ask someone, I hope we'll ask about it and we'll see if there's any more info, but um, 
they're definitely down to just two guys in that starting rotation now with Ibiaga and uh, uh, Nikos Tavares. So, which is a, uh, a yeah. problem unto itself, which it we'll is. get into in a minute. Yeah. Uh, and of course, don't forget, uh, we also may just happen to find out if Martinez decides to tweet a photo of himself in the surgical ward mm-hmm. yeah. uh, on, and put it on his Instagram. <laughs> yeah, that has happened before. <laughs> yes, famously. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's crazy. And I just tell, I mean, that sounds like, and again, I'm not a doctor. I like to play one on the radio, but that sounds like a meniscus issue to me i mean yeah i'm guessing but um you know if there's if they're willing to try and sort see if it sort of heals itself up that that implies probably not mcl or acl kind of tear-ish you know it's like dump a bunch of cortisone in there and steroids and see if that'll cool it off and let him play the rest of the season yeah put some ice on and see what happens but um uh, you know i the, the general vibe is uh, kind of a, one of concern, obviously, when they're having to make this kind of level of decision. Martinez, of course, will be involved in that decision, but so will the club. You know, in terms of, I think in the end, you cannot force someone to have surgery. You can only advise them what you think is best for them in terms of playing. And, and obviously, you have to put the best interest of the player uh, up front. So, like, you know, they'll only say he can come back if it's really not going to be a big deal. But if the other recourse is seizing injury surgery, that sounds like a pretty big deal. And even yeah. if he returns, it probably means that you don't want to start him unless you absolutely have to, you know, right. He's only going to be an emergency. Probably I would assume if he's playing on a bum knee. So hmm. certainly changes things. Well, it does. And it's, uh, it's one of those deals. It's kind of like the Paxton thing that we asked about a few weeks ago, which is just how bad and severe is this injury? Because yeah. they're like, oh, it's it's just a thing. We're giving it some time. You know, he'll be OK. And then now suddenly uh, we're on the precipice of finding out he, uh, Martinez may be done for the season. So it went from yeah. what seemingly no big deal to, oh, uh, well, maybe uh, we'll see. how. This yeah, your two goes. your two possibilities are cross your fingers and he's done. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think if we were all just try to be uh, positive people about this, at least it's not Nikosi who they we're talking oh. about, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> that would be horrible. By the yeah. way, I should be clear that uh, Martinez, do- the club do- does have two options on Martinez for 24 and 25, but his original deal ends at the end of this season. You know, you can do some calculations about how old he is. Uh, how much money it is, and now potentially coming off of some sort of knee surgery as to whether those things would come through or, or be done or not. But, um, you know, the writing's on the wall here, and, and you have to think that uh, no matter what, this is going to maybe tweak at the minimum what they might be thinking about in this current window. Okay. Put a pin in that because yeah. that'll uh, come back to play a part later in the podcast when we start talking about the window, as you mentioned. Um, and so now let's also talk about the fact that with with this approaching, uh, we well, look, let's just get it out of the way. Justin Che is not returning to the club. He doesn't want to. Uh, for all intents and purposes, everything that we've heard from everybody that knows him or knows people associated with him, he has zero interest in playing in Frisco. Yeah, the conversation I had with Coach Estevez about that was pretty short. Dante Seeley was in training, and we were talking about Dante being there and, and how when the, we had to, they had to wait for the July 5th for the window to open so they could add him. And so I said, I see that Justin Shea has not showed up. What about Justin Shea? And he said, no, he wants to go back to Europe. And that was it. 
but that's a pretty definitive. I mean, this coach will give you coachisms and he'll say things about guys being important parts of the squad and we're going to integrate and blah, 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 blah. You know, he's going to like Dante Seeley. He talked about how the kid's giving himself some options, wants to decide where his future is. He's working hard and all this kind of stuff. Che was like, nope. So when you get that cut and dried an answer from a coach, this particular coach, you know, it's not happening. So you know, I, that's the bottom line is obviously uh, Che and his people are seeking alternatives and the club is obviously pretty willing to let that happen. You know, for the fact they didn't tell him you get your butt here in camp and get ready to play is pretty intelling that uh, he ain't going to be here. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I do think he'd benefit from playing over here versus trying to find something over there, but whatever. Well, particularly you. now that you might need a center back. Right. I mean, this seems like the key opportunity <laughs> yeah. for him to not only get time, but start and get some valuable. Yeah. I, I'm frustrated by uh, by that. And, and I don't know if that's just something that's stuck in his head or if that's just yeah. bad advice from adults in the room or what it is. But um, yeah, you both know. your both your right backs are out. One of them, we don't know how long. The other one is probably till the end of this month. Your center back is now out for maybe at least a couple of weeks, if not the season. You so you're down three frontline defenders, and now he doesn't want to be here. It's like, dude, perfect time to be here. Yeah. No. And this episode of Buzzkill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is a Buzzkill episode. It yeah. is. All right. Well, I'm gonna try to be uh, chipper and happy and upbeat about things. But uh, so there's the, so Seely's here, yep. uh, and he's been training. I'm assuming they're desperate. I mean, we haven't even gotten to the attacking woes with this team mm-hmm. yet. Uh, uh, is there a chance the team will see him reinstituted back quickly? Uh, yeah, I would think so. I, I would think they'd get him on the roster pretty quick. I mean, the fact that he's been here for a couple of weeks, you know, working and training and getting fit. I mean, he probably was already fit. Um, the The question is going to be, what kind of player is he now? I mean, we haven't seen him in a couple of years. It's not like his... PSV's young games were on TV very much, if at all. Does he look the same? Uh, well, he looks more mature, obviously. When he left here, he was a teenager, and now he's a young man. So, you know, he's... he's How long has it been? I think three years. No, has it already been three years? Uh, I have to check, but, like, he was... You know, when he left, he was 18-ish, I think, and now he's, uh, you know, 20 years old, I think. Let me, let me Before I say that, let me just Google him real quick. Okay, yeah, while you're doing that, it, it, it is interesting, and I'm hoping you can pay attention to the question I'm going to ask you. because he's I think, 20. All right, so he's 20. Yeah, yep. so so here's the thing, though, Buzz. What I want to know, especially after watching these two last games, can you do you have any ability to compare and contrast what fans can expect as in a comparison to, like, Mulatto or Camungo? Mm-hmm. Uh, Camungo. So he, he left middle of 2021. He had six games in 2021 of the first half of the season, basically. So he, he's been gone for two seasons, basically. Okay. So it wasn't three, it was two. But, you know, he's, he, went, he left when he was, you know, 18-ish, and now he's 20. And that's the difference between a teenager and a young man. So he, when I first saw him, I didn't recognize him because he definitely has filled out and looks much more physically mature. Um, still very fast, still very aggressive. He's, he's very stylistically similar to Bernard Camungo. A little tighter with the ball at his feet. But he wants to pick up the ball and run from deep and run at people. Um, somewhere between the way Brian Reynolds plays and the way Camungo plays. You know, he's that kind of vertical wing, slashing wing, run at people wing, both with pace and a little more ball skill in his case. Um, you, you may remember that he scored a goal back in 2021 uh, when he was playing left wing, particularly in that game, if I remember correctly, when he scored that goal. So he can play either side. Um, you know, he was a guy that was in youth national teams up until he hit that 
you know, 19, 20, 18, 19, 20 level. And then he kind of fell out as he didn't progress through with FC Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he's in that mix. I mean, obviously that's a position where they could use a little um, ability, particularly with Paul out and with Velasco, maybe not quite firing on all cylinders right now. Um, the, but the problem is, is of course we haven't been keeping close tabs on him like you and I certainly haven't. So I was like, I really have no idea what kind of player we're getting when he left he was pretty much right where Kamingo is now, where he was getting these trash minutes. Like, in, for example, in 2021, in those six games he played, he played 62 minutes. He was getting these moments at the end of the game, you know, 10, 15-minute runs here, a little late-game punch, that kind of thing. So we'll see. You know, he's been playing a fair bit for Jung PSV, and back in the, before he left, he played a little bit for North Texas. So um, it's, it's actually a mystery what kind of player we're getting. Was he doing anything positive, or did you get any reports as to why uh, the Dutch team decided not to keep him? Well, he wasn't getting on the score sheet very much. I think I think this last season he had one goal and one assist, mm. you know, and there were big chunks of time when he was basically not in the team at all towards the end of this particular season. But then they went and played in this big, huge tournament uh, right at the end, like a postseason tournament, and he played like in every game and scored a couple of really nice goals. But I think in the end they just had decided, you know, I mean, they're, they're – their reserve team's got 25 players in it, you know, and the chances to go to your first team in that environment are very, very small. You know, they have guys coming down and playing that are veterans with, you know, in that PSV Jung. It's not like it's a U22 team or something like that. Yeah, and I think it's probably fair just to set everybody's expectations appropriately that if he's not lighting it up at that particular level, the odds that he's going to show up here and, and start hitting bangers yeah. are pretty low. Yeah, basically, as near as I can qualify it, he's essentially the exact same age uh, as Bernard Camungo, you know, give or take a little bit. You know, that's the kind of player you're looking at. You know, he came through the academy, so he is a little more polished tactically, but he's not ever really been a tactically dialed in player. He's always been a very individualistic kind of player, Mm -hmm. like a head down and go kind of player, you know. Right. Um, he's not exactly, I, I would not have said traditionally that he was these, this kind of training warrior that Nico Estevez tends to like these guys that just bring it every single day, a hundred percent, you know, he kind of was a guy that was willing to, would, would, I'm not saying he loafs, this is different things. You know, he doesn't treat training like it's a game like, you know, Bobby Ryan, Paxton Pomacol do and did. He's more like Ryan who takes training as a way to be fit and to, work on things, but then tries to bring it up a level when he comes and plays um, with legit games. He was pretty dangerous in the academy, you know, so you, you have to look at him, I think, as one, maybe think of him as a guy who was a bright prospect in the academy, who they maybe they let go to college for a year or two, they let go to some other thing for a year or two. Now, they thought highly enough of him to sign him as a homegrown, but before he left here, he played 11 games, you know, and the level he's been playing at since then is not MLS, it's less than MLS. You know, it's the reserve team for PSV. It's not PSV. So I, I don't know that you're going to expect him to be like a high-impact player. I would expect him to come off the bench if, if we see him at all, in fact, the yeah, rest of this and, year. And is it unfair to uh, speculate that maybe the club sees him as one of their busted homegrown deals, that maybe they signed him to a homegrown deal thinking they were going to be able to turn a quick buck on him and haven't been able to do that? Well, um, 
you know, he, he was quite highly thought of at the time. He was a very bright prospect when they signed him. Um, and in fact, they extended him when he went on loan, as they do. They almost always, if you want to go on loan, they make you extend your deal before they'll loan you. So, like, he's actually on the books through 24, through next season, before oh, wow. his options even kick in for 25 and 26. So clearly they thought quite highly of him. You know, when I when he originally came up for loan was in Lucci's tenure um, in 2021. So I talked to Lucci about it, and, and he kind of, I think Lucci kind of felt like at FC Dallas, where he was a homegrown at the bottom of the roster, that Celia kind of wasn't getting the direct attention that maybe he needed. And they kind of were interested in loaning to somebody who would put him in a more of a reserve type environment where he would be like one of their focus players, you know, because even like North Texas at that time, he was already just blown by guys in North Texas. You know, that wasn't the right, there was that little bit of a gap. It was kind of a problem in this player's case. So PSV was an opportunity that came up and I think they probably thought, oh, this would be great. It's not playing for Jung's not MLS, but it's, you know, it's certainly going to be better than North Texas. And maybe we'll see if he can blossom and grow there under what you would assume would be really good coaching because PSV is a really good situation. Them knowing that like at 18 or whatever it was at the time, it's going to take a couple of years before he can really be impactful for us. And that's where he is right now. You're hoping he's now at a stage where he could come in and be impactful but it's going to be down to him. We haven't seen him. He'll have to take yeah. a step. You know, he'll have to he'll have to find a spot in the rotation, in the order, in the depth chart. Does he need to play for North Texas a couple of times? You know, I, I don't really know. Uh, when they were using him in practice, he was kind of a extra player. Like, they were having him play, like, as a nine for a team that was all defense. You know, and then they really didn't seem to know, like, the day I watched him, really what to do with him because they have guys – that are integrated like Camungo and, and Obreon who were filling these spots that he would also play. So it's not simple. Ah, oh, the life of a professional soccer player. It's uh, an interesting one for sure. The other news related to the roster is the new guy, Ansa. Is that how it's pronounced? Is, have we heard an official Ansa? Uh, it, it might say in the article about him. I could, I could look, but I think it's Ansa. Okay. Off uh, the top of my head. He is arriving in town tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow being yeah. Thursday the 6th, correct? Correct, and with Visa in hand. So um, technically, that would mean he could be on the roster this weekend. But uh, I, I would find that, even just given what I know about this coach, that would be incredibly doubtful that he would walk in with a Thursday-Friday training and play. That would be totally out of character for this coach. Um, you know, Maybe there are guys like... Uh, messy who would walk in and that would happen. But you know, this guy, that's not going to happen. So particularly, you know, and that's even kind of what I've been told, you know, so I, I, I would tamper the expectations that like this weekend is going to be it, but league's cup sounds like a great time to try and get him integrated in the team and see what he's got. You know, it's, he's not a project player. He's a 28, right? So you're, you're not looking at like, Oh, we're going to develop him. No, no, no. This is a guy that really quickly should be in the mix. Again, also plays the same position as Dante Seeley. So keep that in mind too, you know, but this is a guy you would expect to be pressing to be in the lineup or, or a key sub right away, mm -hmm. but not this weekend. That's, yeah. you know, give him a week or two and he ought to be though, or else that's a mistake. Especially at elevation since the game's in Denver. Yeah. I mean that, that would be ridiculous because like Friday's only going to be like a walkthrough and then they're going to get on a plane. So he would get one day of training to try and pick up. No, it's not, not happening. Not under this coach. You know, yeah. he could maybe they could stick him on the bench and maybe you could throw him on for five minutes or maybe you take him along just to sort of team integration, like having him <laughs> with the guys, you know, like I can see that happening. But, uh, you know, and, and if they're still so short, stick him on the bench as like the ninth guy or whatever. But I wouldn't expect to see him to play. <laughs> That'd be crazy. 
Uh, yeah, well, it would be nice to see what the addition is, uh, but that also leads into a larger conversation about the hunts and uh, Zanata actually pulling triggers on things as this window arrives while all sorts of other action is happening around the league, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Just real quickly, before we get into the games, I just want to um, I want to throw, and I'm Buzz, I'm sure you feel exactly the same way, I want to throw my support behind uh, Jesus and the amazing work he's done for the national team in the Gold Cup. I'm really, really proud of him. It's fun watching a guy from your club score goals. I don't care against who. Yeah. Uh, and and the and 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 the out and the ridiculous uh, criticism that he has garnered that he's hitting goals against minnow nations is just the dumbest thing in the world. Uh, he's doing it. I don't know what else anybody wants out of the guy. Uh, and I also want to point out that three EPL players playing for Jamaica all had their own opportunities to do the exact same thing, and the three guys combined uh, uh, scored just three goals against the same two teams themselves. So. Uh, Jesus did something really cool yeah. in the last week, and uh, I think we should throw our love out his way. Oh, you know, he's already equaling some of the all-time greats in, in hat-tricks, and he's, he's the, no one's ever done back-to-back before. That's all amazing. Yes, of course, the, who it was against matters. But these are some teams that have knocked the U.S. out of World Cups. You know, uh, but here's the thing, though, is like I think the, the, the conversations I find silly either way are this conversation of like, oh, he should be the man or he should not be the man. Well, the, the national team doesn't work that way. There is no singular 11 lineup or singular nine. It's always going to be multiple players, many players. The pool is massive. You're going to go through qualifying, and you're going to need tons of bodies to get through qualifying as you play these games in various countries and at various times of the year. You know, I think it's great that he's doing great things. I'm happy for him that he's succeeding. I hope that he'll be involved in the situation going forward. Keep in mind, too, that the World Cup is so far away. So much can change in this, what is it, three years, I guess, before we start the next World Cup, or three and a half. So much can change between now and then. There'll be pl- half of the players that are playing for the national team will be gone, and a whole other half of that group will be back and change and be somebody different. You know, So it's like yeah. it's, it's silly to talk about who, whether, what he'll be, because he's 22. Like, who knows what he's going to be at 26, 27? Who knows what the national team will have at that time? Just enjoy it and be happy he's doing great things and be happy that we might win the Gold Cup, our Continental Championship. It's all great. I love it. Uh, so we'll, hopefully we'll get him back soon because his team desperately needs him. Oh, God, um, yes. <laughs> which, takes us, which takes <laughs> us to the conversation of the two games that we have witnessed since we last did an episode of Third Degree of the Podcast. First off, and it's weird because these kind of happened, uh, the results happened in the reverse order that I think probably people thought they would happen. Although in retrospect, if you really think about it, maybe they actually happened the way they were supposed to. So first off, the 2 nothing win on Saturday night against LAFC, the defending champs who, by the way, went on to play their own game a couple of days later and lost to uh, the Galaxy last night in front of 82,000 people. What a crazy scene that was. So LAFC is a bit in a funk, and they did not look like themselves on Saturday night. And and uh, Nico had a very... Look, these two... In fact, it's, it's going to be difficult for you and I to talk about these two games separately. It would be a lot of time talking about largely the same thing. But this was all a operation in triage for uh, Coach Nico. Yeah, these are two clubs that, um, you know, that while, while you would say that they're on different ends of the spectrum, um, LAFC and DC United, 
LAFC, as you mentioned, is reeling. They're, they've not done well of late. They've had some stumbles, and they're not winning like they were early in the season. And DC United, same sort of boat. They've stumbled a little bit too. But you know, consider that while they're in ninth in the East, they're only like three points behind Dallas. You know, uh, and LA is only like, uh, without looking, something like five points ahead. So these teams are relatively tight. Again, all this parity in this league. And Dallas went at these teams exactly the same way. They're missing so many pieces. Even though they got Urbion back against DC United, they still are missing so many creative pieces that they, they basically played on like at home like they do on the road, which was this mid to low block. They don't really want the ball very much and they want to counterattack you. Um, now, DC United also doesn't want a lot of the ball, whereas LFC does, and that was the main difference between the two games. But uh, from the Dallas perspective, the performances were almost identical, except that in, against LAFC, uh, Camungo, when he got his one little five-inch space, he got it and scored. And then against DC United, he had that chance early in the game, and he didn't. And that pretty much is the difference. Junka's goal against LAFC is great late, but probably a little bit of a byproduct of LAFC trying to push to get back in that game. So really the difference is when your moment comes, do you get it or do you not? And that's what turned both of those games. Um, and, and this is why the value of a player like Jesus who gets those every time, you know, if he's in there rather than Camungo, not that it was this, in the second game, Camungo put a different position. So I'm just making a broad breaststroke here. You know, that little moment, that little goal changes or not goal changes everything. And so that's why Camungo was man of the match against LAFC and he was not against DC United. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because this is largely what we predicted when we realized that Jesus was going to be gone for an extended period of time with the national team, which was, uh, guys, we're about to lose the only person on the team that's hitting goals consistently. What are we going to do? And and that is, by and large, is what we're seeing with this team at this point uh, is just like, especially in the D.C. game, they had their opportunities to win that game or at least tie it. How about that? Yeah. Uh, and it was just miserable finishing by more than one player that kind of kept that from happening. Yeah, you look at the LAFC game and they had seven shots and they scored two goals. <laughs> But the two shots on goal and they got both of them. And then the DC game, they had 11 shots. So they actually had better offense and created more opportunities, but only one shot on goal. And, it, and they didn't get it. They didn't get it. It was saved. So these are, these are thin margins. They basically played exactly the same against both teams. They, they created the same amount of chances, relatively speaking. They have all year long. There was no dip. This is the kind of team we've seen all year around 10, 12 shots a game at home, bro, doesn't matter. You know, efficiency in front of net from Jesus is the difference most of the time. And so, again, that's all the difference in these two games. They, they came through and scored in the first one, and they didn't in the second one. They played just the same way they always did, then they have all year. Yeah. You know, that's something I wanted to talk about today was because, I, uh, you know, in watching reaction from the fans, mostly on social media over the course of, the, of both the L.A. win and the D.C. loss, is kind of this ever-growing... Um, comment or observation from fans about just how, and this is maybe not the most polite way to say it, how boring this team is to watch by yeah. and large. Yeah. And I guess the question I, I think would be interesting to hear from you, Buzz, is is that do you think this team is boring to watch simply as a byproduct by its injury crisis, or is the roster constructed in such a way that even when it has, quote-unquote, its best 11, Nico's still going to play in this fashion? Uh, I, I think that this is the way this coach wants to play. 
Um, you can look back over the last two seasons, particularly on the road for sure. But most of the time at home, they also play this way. Um, this is something he and I talked a little bit about when he first got here was how hot it is. I ask every coach this when they get here. It's incredibly hot here. How are you going to deal with that? Summer swoon and all that stuff. He talks a little lot about, you know, overextending themselves sometimes and don't chase the game quite so much. And this is how he chooses to play. You can watch this team play game after game after game in a mid to low block. Yes, it's boring as hell. They want to play in quick transition. It's not a counterattack. Those are different things. It's not Roy Lassiter where you just boot it and he chases it. This is a quick ticky-tacky up the field rapid transition game. They want to turn you over near midfield, you know, or even occasionally high in a little press and get at you fast. Now, yes, from the general perspective, it can be quite boring. They do not create a high volume of opportunities. There's not a lot of shots. I, I frequently hear people around me say, man, nothing's happening in this game. It's so boring. And without fail, this team hardly gets any chances until about the 60th minute when they make a sub or two or sort of then sort of lean into it and go for it. You know, it's it happens every time. Now, I would counter with that, that there are lots of things going on that maybe a lot of people aren't necessarily looking for. There's a, there's a bunch of terrific team defense happening and some tactical things that are happening when they're switching formations, how they stymie passes, how they can prevent people from building out of the back. You know, some of the play in midfield when they're playing it correctly is really exciting. Now, I grant you, all that can be boring is watching paint dry most of the time unless you're really <laughs> into, like, tactical shapes and stuff, which is what I'm trying to look for most of the time. You know, so it's just a matter of perspective. But... This is definitely not an entertaining product, quote unquote. This is not how you're going to necessarily bring in a lot of fans, except that winning is fun. And winning, when you do get a goal or two out of this game, you can then walk away really pleased. You know, general people around me against the LAFC game walked out of that game excited and they had a great time. And in the DC game, it was a lot of like, oh man, this stinks. What a bummer, you know. In the end, that's what gets people really hooked is winning or losing. You know, you, they'll forgive a lot if you win the game. Uh, Buzz, are you trying to establish that essentially FC Dallas is for the nerds? I think the enjoyment of it can be for the nerds. This is definitely a team that is not sexy, you know, to watch. It's not right. scintillating no. passing. It, it can be in moments when they do transition quickly and they get and you really you need Jesus to really be on for this to happen and work and then there are moments where like it looks absolutely fantastic particularly late in games when they go for it but for the bulk of it because they don't they don't press hard even in midfield they wait for you to make a mistake they take up that position and then they slowly retreat and keep everything in front of them and, and they limit teams to a lot of shots from distance which is great you don't want that you don't want shots in close you want them from range because pause is good those blasted shots from 35 yards out are rarely going to trouble him so it's all designed to play this way it's just not going to be something you're going to hold up as like look at this amazing sexy soccer product it's like we joked remember that he, he coaches like he's a mid-table team in spain yeah, you know he's coaching to be out talented. You know, well, I think the uh, you know this gets into a larger conversation about what a weird position that puts the club in 
uh, based on the fact that they had another sellout last night. I think they're on their eighth. I think they had as many sellouts already this season as they had for the entirety of last season. And all of them from last season were more than all the previous seasons combined, et cetera, et cetera. And that's all a very, very good thing. But you do begin to wonder what the cumulative effect on the fan base and ticket selling is going to be if this team is going to be a snoozer to watch week in and week out and aren't winning these home games in this manner. Because the first half of the LAFC game was about as forgettable as it gets. Yeah. And the DC game last night, I, I traded a joke with you on Twitter about, hey, wait, is somebody going to win an award for unforced turnovers? Yeah. Because I don't remember the last time I saw two MLS teams just almost voluntarily give the ball back to the other team. And it's like, as soon as you would give it to one team, the other team would touch it twice and then just give it right back to the other team. It was, I mean, look, that's an ML. And I blame that on the league for scheduling these games two days back, you know, away from each other. One team is clearly dealing with an injury situation. One team is playing on very short order and having to travel. Um, yep. and, and, and that's, and, and, oh, and, oh, it's also July 4th in Dallas, Texas, <laughs> and that's all going to make for some really awful, awful soccer. Yeah. The, 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 the it has to do with its style of both of these teams. The, the DC was particularly bad as I joked that neither team wants the ball. Neither team is a possession team. And I'll just, let's just talk about Dallas real quick as an example. You can look at the rotation that they had on the field for most of the game, right? We talk about pauses. One weakness is his feet, right? So he's not a tidy possession player. Nikosi and Ibiaga and Corsa, all three are not necessarily known as like great players that build out guys. They're not tidy dribblers. They, Tafari is probably the best passer of that three, but that's still not saying all that much. It's not he wasn't as good as Hedges, for example. Looking across the back, uh, the, the midfield as it was last in that game, Farfan, Edwin, Facundo and Junka. None of those guys are possession kind of players, right? Camugo and O'Brien, both very vertical wingers. Really the only possession style capable player you had on the field was Velasco. So you had one guy out of 11 that really is capable of that. You're missing Areola, Leggett, Paxton, Siki, right? Jesus, five, well, five guys that are super quality on the ball, possession style players. Four of the five make a million bucks. So it's not surprising that you're watching a team play a boring, we don't really want the ball, we can't really possess and build and play good passing soccer. That's what you have. Yeah, but here's the problem, and I don't, and I, and I, this has already been an episode of Buzzkill, but I'm also going to now throw in the very bonus, uh, I'm going to throw in the bonus section of Tough Love, which is you can go pretty much player by player that has been playing of late and ask some really tough questions about how well those guys are playing. I mean, Velasco, in my mind, <sighs> is a uh, like a, a huge red flag. Uh, I, it's not an effort issue. The kid's trying, like he appears to be putting in, the, uh, trying to put in the work. But it, he's not. He's. It was weird. I actually looked this up on FB Ref the other day, and I don't know how FB Ref uh, and the stats uh, judge duels because if you go and look at. Velasco's grade on how he performs in duels it's huge like he yeah. does like he's like one of the top in the league but I'm telling you on the eyeball test I watch him play and I go I'm not sure he can actually beat anybody face up uh, especially around the box where he doesn't choose to or something so that part of his game to me is really really curious and then uh Legette, like one why did he not start this game 
two in the one and a half games we watched him play, man, he just looks like a shell of himself. And I'm sure most of this is tied to his off the field issues. He just looks like he's got his brain somewhere else. We don't know what's going on with Areola. Yeah. Jesus may never play for this team again. Uh, Obreon has now gone back to bad hot air, hmm. Obreon. I, I mean, you can go, I mean, and, and Faku's playing probably the best of anybody most consistently on the field, and that's a problem. Cerrillo's been, I mean, look, you could, I could do this pretty much all the way across oh, yeah. the roster. And, yeah. and, and again, I just want to get back to the thing I just said. There's a chance, there is a universe we live in where Jesus never plays for this team again because he continues to ball out for the national team, and somebody says, yeah, I'll give you 20 million pounds for him. Yeah, we raised that specter before he even left. I know. It's probably know. our fault. Yeah, it's 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 weird that Facundo's been the best player for the last month and a half, which should tell you something about um, now that O'Brown's gone to trash. I mean, um, Facundo's been on fire of late uh, and is playing really well. We should give him credit for that. You know, we, we, we put a lot of weight on Velasco because he is so talented. You know, expectations do matter. When you have no expectations like we do for Corsa, you think, oh, that was fairly decent. Well, you have these really high expectations for Velasco. And so statistically, yes, all the stats are still showing up for him. It's the decision-making that's wrong. It's the, it's the, the weight of the passes that are slightly behind people. It's, the, it's subbing out, was it four games ago when he subbed out with a tear in his eye? You know, it it's all strikes me as a guy who's incredibly unhappy, right, that he doesn't like where he is and what he's doing and wants to go home. I have no idea if that's true or not. I'm just speculating completely just because of what I'm, wa I'm watching him wander around the field. Well, we've seen like it before. Maro Diaz, like... Um, uh, who's the kid that went back to Chile? Uh, I'm totally brain farting on, you know, I'll, I'll come yeah. in a minute. Uh, Orangis, Pablo Orangis. Yeah, Pablo Orangis, yes, you yes, know, yes. Sometimes you get guys like David, David Faria who was dialed in and, and a battler and has a different sort of personality and wanted to be here. And then you get guys that, you know, Fabian Castillo who was a battler up until he didn't want to be here. You know, Velasco's given me that vibe of maybe he doesn't quite want to be here. And I hate saying that. And I hope it's not true. Well, we also we also have heard the rumors that there's that he wants to go back to Argentina and that Boca has an interest in him. There's all that noise going on. We have no yeah. idea what the validity of validity of that is, but it all does feel odd that he's playing like this and that stuff is popping up in different places. Yeah, the the thing is too is that when you take off, you know, four or five of your most talented players and the highest paid players on the team, you know, all of a sudden people that are usually good stalwart roster filling stable players are now having to carry things and they can't, you know, like Sam Junka two games in a row now has played well above his ability. You know, he's, he's, he's rising to the occasion and playing better than he's actually talented. You know, you can see him try to do things that don't come off cause he doesn't quite have it, but he's such a smart player that he's still 90% effective and he gets that goal like he got, you know, and his breakdown of that was fun to listen to when he talked about exactly what he was thinking as he went through it. You know, they're just in a spot where, you know, this is such a league of parity. And I guarantee you, if you took any team in this league and lopped off four of your sure. five highest yeah. players and five of your most talented players, even if one of them is more of a sub than not, you would still struggle. And so really, sometimes you, I think you have to look at this almost as a credit to the maybe the maybe the toughness in some of these guys that they have left certainly the way they play and the style they play to stifle the game and give themselves an opportunity to at least grind out something. Now they have lost four or five, but to even have gotten a result in there at all. And to be in these games with a chance to win them with the roster they're rolling out there is kind of amazing. You know, the, the game I was most upset about was the one where they defensively fell apart 
because this team is pretty solid defensively all the time, even when they have they still have most of their solid defensive pieces there. So you would expect games to be one nothing kind of games, not giving up a goal or maybe giving up one goal. It's when they give up three that you by halftime that you get really mad and really I did anyway. Yeah, you know. So like I, I these four out of five are not particularly upsetting me given the circumstances they're in. It's going to be a grind until Jesus comes back. And you're totally right about Legit. You know, last night, certainly there are worse players you can put out there when he went out there and in the game he started. By the way, I assume he didn't start because he's just come off of injury and you have three games in this week. They have another game this weekend. So you couldn't start him in all three having just walked off the injury list. So that, I'm sure that's the way he did start. But even when he did, he's just an average MLS player that I see running around there. I've seen worse players, don't get me wrong, but for guys getting paid a million bucks, it's just just barely out of the national team pool. He ought to be a really effective dom- dominating player, and he's not. He's just a dude, and that's a worry. Yeah, and to put things into even bigger perspective, Dallas, that win against LAFC is the only win that they have had in their last eight games, dating all the way back to Vancouver. The St. <laughs> Louis game doesn't count because it actually – the, that the placement of that game, the 40 minutes, goes back to the original date of that game. So um, yeah. uh, it's, a, it's a weird stretch, and uh, it's, it's so far been a really, really curious season about how all this plays out. And, uh, you know, injuries are injuries and call-ups are call-ups. And you're right. You know, you you uh, you afflict this uh, you in you inflict this on any MLS roster, and you're going to get uh, your results may vary. Oh, yeah, but it's hard to see how this thing. Uh, you know, I, look, at this point, what you want them to be able to say they can do is survive the rest of the season until they can make the playoffs. Yeah, thank goodness, actually, for the League's Cup. <laughs> you know, because you can, you, can you can get through two more games here, you know, and try and salvage a point road or two on no the road. Less. You know, you can, you're going to Seattle, you never win there. Colorado's one of your bogey teams. You know, those are going to be tough. But if you can keep them tight maybe steal a point or two, that would be great, right? You're not optimistic about that. But then you get in a Leagues Cup, and you basically get from, after you play Seattle on July 15th, then you don't play again until August 20th in the league, right? So mm-hmm. that's that gives you a month to get guys back and get your form back, depending on how quickly you get eliminated or how much you care about the Leagues Cup, right? Well, so, what do you, uh, hold on, before you move on, how much... What do you think Nico's plan is for the League's Cup? Well, that's a good question. I really have no idea. I mean, given this the health of the team, um, I, I would imagine that they probably will. Uh, what I would do, I think, would be not treat it as like they do the Open Cup where they go like a full rotation, but I would be pretty aggressive about rotating. You know, I would try and get some – like a legit, I would try and play a bunch, actually, to try and get him going. But guys that are feeling like a little burnt, like I might rest Marco Farfan, you know, for a game or two for sure. You know, I, I would keep pause in. I would, you know, play Colin Smith since you you called him back. Don't worry about that right back spot for a little bit. Let Farfo sit for Junka a little bit. You know, maybe give give Lasco a couple games off, perhaps. Do you know what the status you of know? Areola is at this point? Uh, they're targeting the Seattle game for him to be back potentially. Okay, that was so the just- yeah. You know, and so that would be a good example. Like, it, it, let's say he's cleared for the Seattle game, hypothetically. You would take him with you on the road, and you might bring him in for like 10 minutes. You know, and then sh- the Charlotte game and the League's Cup, you know, have him on the bench and maybe give him 30. And so you can use the League's Cup to get Ariel going and get Legette going. But then you could take, 
guys that have played a boatload of minutes lately, like Edwin or Facundo, and start rotating them. Rotate Farfan, you know, rotate, let 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 uh, Corsa have a game with somebody, you mm-hmm. know, and, and let Ibiaga have a game off or, or, or Nicosa have a game off because you don't really care about this game against Charlotte or Nicoxa. I mean, yes, it would be fun to make a run, but to, to put a lot of money, in a sense, into like this this league's cup and clutter up your schedule when you're in the middle of one of the biggest injury crises you've ever had to me it would be crazy you know what i mean it'd be a it's weird just, use of energy it'd be weird sure. it would be very weird given how desperate you are to get healthy and how much you've had to play like the same guys over and over and over again the last month because of these injuries right you yeah. know get use some minutes to get paxton going use some minutes to get jack going use some minutes to get Ariola going yes absolutely but also protect guys that have played a lot lately and, and, and even, even give like give Norris a game, you know, get, get uh endale a, a start or two, perhaps, I don't know, try, try and get some of these guys a little, so like a little bit like an open cup, but not a hundred percent like an open cup where you're bringing up guys from North Texas or whatever like that, that heavily. But, um, you well, know. somebody I would like to see more of is Mr. Corsa, the Arlington product yeah. via uh, Croatia, who I think, thought was surprisingly good and solid now uh, granted dc didn't put you know <laughs> um Bitenke wasn't out there and they didn't yeah. push too hard but i thought he one i thought he did a good job and and um the the team was commenting about it on the television uh the number of times he actually uh salvaged Ig, uh, uh ibby out of problems yeah he he showed enough pace recovery pace which is something that i find really really important um, but there, to me, there are small deficiencies still. Like he reads the game um, half second too slow right now. He just is too inexperienced. And there's things like where he made this really great charging run on a guy down and forced him all the way to the end line. But the guy still got the shot off and pinged it off the post. It's like if he'd have been six inches to his left, that would have been in. And then the, the goal that did come where Ibiaga blocked the first shot was then down. Of course, it was in the range to close that down. But he hesitated a split second. So... Overall, generally, yes, you talk about, and I, I try not to get on guys about one or two, one mistake or an individual mistake or something like that. But, you know, there are little bitty signs that he's just not quite there yet. But you're right, he does show enough potential. He certainly is among the fourth, fifth center backs we've seen come through here over the last seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. He has the most sort of shine right now. When he's gone down for North Texas, I would expect more to be him to be more dominant than he is. I would expect him to lead more than he is. He just kind of goes down there and plays, and you see some of the same sort of little mistakes happening. Um, that worries me a little bit. So what? What I, I wouldn't mind seeing him more in the League's Cup, for example, just to sort of see a little bit more about what he has at this high level. He also might get wrecked, you know. So you have to be a little worried. You'd be a little careful with that in terms yeah. of like just putting him out there against somebody really good, for example, might be a little bit problematic, but. Uh, I also would like to see him get a little more time when it maybe doesn't quite matter quite so much because there, there is a little potential there that makes you think that you might, he has the athletic ability and the pace to sort of keep up. If he can raise his game reading up, you know, about half a second, he'll be bright. He'll be able to compete in MLS and be fine. All right. Well, uh, just to kind of scuttle along since we've uh, been going at this for a bit, Colorado Saturday night, eight thirty on MLS season pass. It's not one of the free games. Uh, any idea how he lines this thing up? Well, uh, you don't have any choice, I think, but to play <laughs> Paz, Nikosi, Tafari, and Ibiaga. That's a given. Farfan's pretty much going to have to play. Um, 
you're you're out of right backs basically unless you use Junko, which they did in the end the game. Something that I suggested, when I'm sure they had thought of that before. Anyway, I actually think it might be probable that you would see Colin Smith in that game at right know, back at right back because they recalled him. It would be awfully tough to recall him just to be on the bench. That's a little harsh to not let him try and play. Colorado isn't last place, so theoretically they're the worst team in the league. They have they're two ten and eight. So if the if you ever had a game where you could maybe think, oh, this is a good one for Colin Smith, this would be the one. So I think maybe Colin Smith at right back because mm-hmm. that lets you use Junka up top. Um, I think you can bring Lejet back as a starter now since you can buy him off the bench midweek. Okay, Lejet can start. So they pulled Facundo a little earlier than Edwin. To me, that in my head said, okay, Facundo and Lejet in that central double pivot on, against Colorado. That makes sense to me. Um, I think you won't see the three at the back. I think they'll go back because Lejet will be in. I think you'll go back to a normal sort of shape. Um, you know, with with Velasco up top and maybe Obran up top, and then who the third player would be. You know, Junka's done pretty well at that wing. You know, com, uh, you can play him on the left or the right, either one. You know, you could try that Velasco at the nine bit again, or you can put Obreon in the middle, like like they have done, where they can use his pace to get at people, and then you can have uh, Velasco left, Junka right. You've seen that Junka can score from that opposite side on that good foot. So that's kind of what I'm thinking because Junka also is really smart and he can help cover back and help Smith when he needs to, just like he does with Giovanni, you know, help us hold his hand back there. So, um, pause, Farfan, Tafari, Abiaga, Smith, um, Legit, Facundo. I need a third player in there. Don't I? Maybe Paxson's <laughs> ready to go. Paxson might be ready yeah. to go. Yeah. And then, uh, Velasco around Junk up top. So you could probably try and start passing with the idea that if I can get him to halftime or get him to 60 minutes, you know, and then bring in maybe or have him split the game with Seeky maybe, perhaps, or maybe 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 a 60-40 with Seeky. Those, all those ideas can kind of work, I think, and get you a pretty decent team on the field against a team that's not very good that you ought to be able to get a point in Colorado, if not even try and go for the win. So that takes us to back to the pin that we started with uh, and mentioning Mr. Martinez's uh, injury and his status that maybe he's done for the season and the fact that the window is is open uh, and there is so much action going on around the league. And talking about center backs, Austin just got a, a center back from Philly on loan and that's a guy, Buzz, you said you wish they had. Oh, yeah. You yeah. Know, uh, that, that's the kid that played. That was the best defender for the U-20s in the, um, in the World Cup. Uh, yeah, really nice player. He, he's stuck behind some good players in Philly, so they've loaned him to Austin. Certainly, to me, that's a player. Like, in my head, he's better right now than um, Corsa and, and much better than Norris, you know, who I really like, but is a good two years behind and now is more of a midfielder than a center back anyway even though he was converting the center back. So I would have jumped at the chance to get him given the injury situation right now, but obviously that's out the window. Yeah, but uh, we also are very aware, I think I'm sure most people that listen to this podcast are paying attention to the situation in Miami because they're trying to jam in all this talent, and to do that they're having to shed a lot of players. Pizarro apparently is going to L.A., and uh, there may be other players made available. And I, Buzz, this this team has too many – uh, positions of need at this particular point for me to feel like anybody could be uh, satisfied if they don't start adding more players than they've done so far. 
Yeah, well, I since the beginning of the year, I really thought center back was the thing because I was I tend to think about contracts and how long they last and what you're going to do. And like I've been convinced all along that there's no way you're extending Martinez. So you have to replace Martinez either this summer or next winter. And given that I knew they tried to do it last winter and given what they said, I thought it would be this summer. But some people that I've talked to don't think that that was true. They think that Dallas was pretty happy with the trio that they had going. Martinez, Ibiaga, and Nicosi, that those three were enough, particularly because we've seen a tiny bit out of Corsa at this point that feels like, okay, maybe there's a little bit there. But Martinez being hurt changes everything. If you think he just needs a couple of weeks and he can come back or just be a reserve for you, then okay, then we can get through the rest of the year. That's fine. But if he's out, out, you almost certainly then need to go get a center back of some kind. Um, the problem would be that with his contract, Martinez's contract going to waste, it would, might be really hard to add a big-time center back. You probably would have to look for a reserve kind of depth center back. You know, It might get something not much better than Corsa, but you need one because you need to have at least four, and I would say five, but now that Norris is probably not a center back anymore, you know, that kind of is a question mark there. But here's the bigger question. I think that since they've shifted to what I, what I call uh, affectionately a double pivot, Sometimes it's in a shows up as a four-two-three-one, which is what we saw with Siki before he got hurt, when they had the two guys behind Siki as more of that higher ten kind of player, or when they've played the four-four-two, they still have been going with this Facundo Edwin combo, and when Paxton was healthy, it, we would see him in that spot too. Again, not a six; he's an eight playing deep. It's a deep eight. This is a traditional eight position, a real box-to-box linker in a double pivot the success of how much better Facundo looks and the success of how much better Edwin looks both in that shape, the ability to free up somebody in front of them, because the big missing piece for Dallas is midfield help into the box. It's the final pass. It's an assist or goals from midfield. That's the component they're missing the most. So there's a, there's a big school of thought that the, 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 the coaches stated liking of this double pivot and the amount of chances it's creating, particularly when Siki was doing that high spot before he got hurt, makes me lean fairly confidently into an idea that, like, if you're chasing something this season, and even when Legette's healthy, he's not shining, that maybe you want to make a move for that spot, that free eight spot, that I'm not going to call it a 10, but that advanced midfield attacking sort of stylistic spot might be the way to go. And so all along we've said there was this particular agenda I think the first half of the season may have altered the agenda. And I think that's the best because they've, they went out and got a wing and they've got Dante maybe, maybe as a second wing, you know, they are, they, it looks like they maybe don't want to do center back unless Martinez is out. That leaves you that perhaps attacking sort of midfield row, possibly the other idea, of course, everyone has is this idea of going on and get a legendary six world-class six, but those are a expensive and you got a lot of money in Facundo. And admittedly, he's playing great since they've shifted this tactic. Uh, and I'm actually perfectly happy with him for the rest of this year. I don't know that I want to pick him up or not for next year or not, but that's a bridge will burn when we get later in the season. But I, I can be pretty content with Facundo and a double pivot with Paxton or Edwin, depending on how much of a heavy defensive load you want in that midfield. So I think that wraps up pretty good, like basically what the options might be. Yeah, and I think that's great 
detail analysis of the situation, but on a more holistic level, what I begin to wonder is, and this gets back to the thing that, that we were talking about a few minutes ago, which is it's a weird position because this club has done some tremendous work in fixing its attendance issue. Again, another sellout last night. There are They're now in the top half of the league in terms of attendance, and I think they're top five in terms of uh, attendance for capacity. And you do wonder what the uh, you know the temperament of the fan base will be if other clubs are adding big name players and and suddenly the all of these fans whether they be long term fans that just are starting to show up again or new fans either remembering or coming to the realization the hunts just really aren't big spenders unless there are they are big sellers first and there's no big sale pending unless Jesus gets sold and that's a completely different story or Velasco. Um, yeah, the yeah they're up twelve percent in attendance, which is one of the best six in the league. You're totally right. Here's the here's the elephant in the room, though. Jesus Ferreira has become a difference making player. He's a guy that can single handedly win games for you. You actually with him, you have a chance. This idea of get in and then let's see what Jesus can do is legitimate. Just get me into the playoffs. If I'm top four or five, maybe I get a home game. I don't remember what the exact breakdown is. And Jesus can get, maybe he can pull it off. Well, that's the elephant in the room. What's the window on how long I have Jesus here with my franchise? If he's sold or he leaves, I'm back. I have to reset back and start my progression again of building a team. Because at that point, I have nobody that can score goals. And so I have to find a new goal scorer. Does that happen right away? Do I, do I have to try some different things? Do I have to go out and get some different guys? You know, given the current structure of the team, having him or not having him is everything going forward for the short to not like the rest of this season per se, but yes, for the rest of the season and probably next year. How long can I keep him? So you have to become problematic about that. Do you go out and make moves to try and win with Jesus for right now? Like, do I go get a guy that gives me the best shot at the last half of this season? Or do I sit and hold my cards and wait and see what happens? Because if, if, you, go, if you go out and get a guy and go spend $3 million to get a 10 to play underneath Jesus in this current 4-2-3-1 that we've seen a little bit, or as a second striker next to him in a 4-4-2, we've seen that a lot lately too. Let's say you do that, and then this winter Jesus is like, see ya, I'm out. And then you're like, shit, now what do I do? Mm -hmm. So I think you have to be problematic about that. You have to, you, the, the best play for the long-term healthier franchise might be to wait six months and see what happens. It might not be to go out and get a guy right now. You're going to have more money this next winter, but there's more players available now. So these are the tough decisions that you're going to have to make between your owner and your technical director with some input of your head coach and probably all your staff. But Someone's going to have to make these calls about are we rolling the dice right now with Jesus before we lose him? Or do we cover our bets in case we do lose him this winter and then we're totally screwed? So that's a tough call. You might have to have conversations with Jesus, see where he is on it. He might be fired up to go one more year here and see what happens. You know, Hey, I'll yeah. stay for a year if you go get me this piece. Not like a name specifically, mind you. But if he's like, if you can give me a great playmaker underneath, I'll stay for one more year. You know what I mean? Granted, remember, too, that he does have a relatively high salary. It's difficult to move him. The, the leagues that he could go to that can afford him are more limited than any player they've had here before out of their academy. 
you know, Richards and, and, and Reynolds and Reggie and Tanner, those all guys all had way, way lower contracts than Jesus does. He's much harder to move. There are much less teams that can afford him. Yipes. It's a weird situation. It's a tough uh, call. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, so much good has changed around here and a lot of it was tied one to Austin doing what they did in the, in, in terms of the, uh, 100%. experience. Yeah. Right. 100%. And the other one was the money they made from selling off Pepe and they, you know, they've clearly blown through that. Not, that's not a criticism, but man, uh, but you're, well, that's a really, really good point. Like, it's a weird yeah. deal to go out and spend a lot of money to try to help Jesus only for Jesus to leave, and then that's a whole different rethink, and yeah. it's a, well, it's the, a weird the, deal. There's two kinds of money, too, remember, that, like, I'm not suggesting the Hunts can't afford to buy players. They could. Oh, sure. They, they could have money. What I'm talking about is the mechanics of doing it, like the funny money that you need to go guy, the Tam, the Gam, that kind of stuff. They have the open DP spot. If they buy down Areola, that's part of the calculation, right? So there's an extra four or five hundred grand or whatever it is to make that happen of this more tan gam, right? So that's what they're short on right this minute that makes it more difficult. So like adding a DP now is twice as expensive as adding a tan player is now because you have to do something with Paul, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the calculation. Do we do those things? Can we go with a tan gam now? Is that enough? Do we wait to the winner? It's very complicated, and it's not simple calculation. Jesus is killing it in the Gold Cup. Maybe his price is skyrocketing. Maybe you wait three weeks and see where that's at. Right? That could change things, too. So uh, I, I would not expect – they've got a player that lined up right this minute for the window, and that's Ansa. He's coming tomorrow. Now you have this question on Martinez, and now you have, I think, 100% a question on Jesus. You know, he loves this club. He wants to fight for this club. He said that. But that doesn't mean when $20 million is thrown down that he doesn't change his mind. Yeah, so, for sure. So those, 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 is that three, three big questions now of which direction you go in this window um, and with an eye on short-term shot to win something with Jesus versus long-term shot, what happens if he leaves? Those are all calculations. Yeah, and without getting too much into it, just to throw it out there, we can talk about it next week, is just the reality of where, you know, Jesus as a player, there are moments where you get the sense he's frustrated with this team and is it running around in his head that he's not, this isn't maybe the best use of his his time and career at this particular moment, if the Hunts aren't going to uh, make the moves necessary to help you know, make a better experience for him. Uh, you know, yeah, you definitely see him occasionally snap at somebody, you know, or gesture. He he doesn't hold that anger for long though. You know, he just gets frustrated for a moment sure. and then he gets over it. I, I do think sometimes that that stuff where late in games, he goes back towards the back. I think some of that, maybe a little of that surfacing that he's basically just getting so frustrated that he's like, okay, I'll go stand in midfield. Yeah. <laughs> then uh, and I'll pass the ball to you. Maybe you can try and score since no one's going to pass me the ball. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's all tough love conversations. My yeah. friend buzz. Um, I mean, listen, Jesus Ferrer is an absolute baller right now. He's playing. You could, I think you can make the case that right this second, he's the best player this team's ever had. There are wow. guys that have done more things and longer tenure, but this league is way better than when Jason Christ was here way better than, than, it was 10 years ago when Oscar was here. This league is yeah. and to be doing the things he's doing back to back seasons like this. I mean, how many times has it been an 18 goal scorer in this team, maybe three or four and to do what looks like to be doing it again for a second year. That's never happened here. Right. Christ had a great season. Then Graziani would have a great season. And then Cooper had a great season and then Cunningham had a great season. None of them did it consistently. 
and the league is so much better than it ever was. And for him to be doing it back to back to me, I think you can make an argument that he might right this minute be the best player they've ever had. Yeah. And that's the frustrating aspect of being an, uh, you know, following a club that has an owner that is not like some of these more aggressive minded ones, LAFC, Miami, Toronto, Seattle. you know, Seattle, some of these other clubs that are willing to go out of pocket to change the team versus Clark's method of, Hey, we got a bottom line to keep and, and I'm, and I'm not going to get into what's right and what's wrong, but that's the reality. When you, when you make the yeah. decision to make FC Dallas the burn your club, you do so hopefully with the understanding that the hunts run this thing in a very, very strict conservative financial manner. Uh, and until they sell a bunch and until they make a lot of money selling kids, the odds of them spending a lot of money again um, is probably pretty low, especially when the nine million bucks they just spent a couple of years ago has turned out to be Alan Velasco. Yeah, they have a they have a willingness to invest in long term sustainability things, infrastructure, the talk of the new east side of the stadium, the hotel, those kinds of things. The roster itself, they pretty much run a sell to buy philosophy. When you saw the Pepe sale. Then you saw them turn around and spend nine million on Velasco. Then they spend two million inside the league on Areola, right? Pay a little bit more for Legette. You know they're willing to buy and spend when they get money in. So like the idea of them, like will they go out and get this five million dollar playmaker? Not unless they sell somebody for a bunch of money, right? At the same time, like Dan Hunt insists, and at some point without a financial accountant, all I can do is believe him that all the Pepe money went back into the team, that they left it all in there and didn't take any of it out. And I know for a fact that pretty much the whole organization got upgrades in spending and budget and raises in every phase of everything they do after the Pepe sale as part of using that money and keeping in the club. You know, So they do spend it in some ways. They're just not going to go out and spend crazy money on a player unless they sell a player. That's just not how they work. Third Degree, the podcast has been brought to you by Soccer90.com. Shop Soccer90.com for all your soccer gear. FC Dallas, North Texas Soccer Club, U.S. Men's National Team, Women's National Team, Youth National Teams. Man, they got everything you could want. Jersey scarves, tees. Soccer90 has it. Check out all the latest from Rivals and Gear. Use code Third Degree at checkout for 20% off. Soccer90.com. Some exclusions do apply. Well, I hope uh, Dan was successful in finding all of the parts that exploded around his room of his computer um, earlier this evening and gets that thing put back together because I missed him today. But this has been a good, fun, solid conversation of burn talk. I yeah, think. it was good. Yeah, it's fun. Thank you, Buzz. Always, this is the best. Oh, thanks, man. And I appreciate you being here to bounce it all around with me. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, hopefully things get better for the boys this Saturday in Colorado. Travel safe, all of that. And uh, thank you, FC Dallas Curious Fan. We will speak to you next week on another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Dan, fix your mic. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third degree, the third degree never can. Third degree, the third degree never can.